Let's join uh, in Scripture this morning. That comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Follow along on the screen, if you would, please, or in your pew Bibles. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That is this morning's word. Would you please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father God, we ask you that you soften our our hearts this morning as we prepare to hear the words that you have for us. God, we come to you from all different walks of life with different testimonies, knowing that you are our solid foundation, all knowing that you are the ultimate builder and continue to work your master plan into each of our lives. We thank you for the blessings you place upon each of us as well as the trials that we may learn from whatever you place in our paths. Father God, we pray to you this morning for those who are in need of your healing hands, for those who are not able to be here with us, for those who doubt, and for those who are weary, that they receive the love that you have for them. And Father, may we all praise you this morning because of that love you have shown us and continue to guide with. God, we ask that you be with our pastor this morning as he has prepared your word. May he be our mediator this morning, bringing us what we all need, God. And that is what you have to say. God, we lift all these things up in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us all to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I want to uh, start my moments with you, leading you today by uh, sharing a little bit with where our, my partner Keith is. Um, Keith was here earlier in our first two services this morning, but some of you may know and may have been preparing along with uh, praying along with Estelle, his spouse. But Estelle has a, had a grandmother that was very dear to her, and she passed away this week, and they finally were able to work out the tra- uh, travel plans to get her to Philly, uh, which is where she's from. And uh, sadly, and this is what I'm going to ask your prayers for, for Estelle and continuing on, is uh, the woman who just passed away, her grandmother, has two sons, which, of course, is Stell's uncles, both of which are in uh, dire moments in their own health. One is in a coma, and one just discovered after a, uh, not feeling very well that his body's riddled with cancer. And so uh, given that Estelle's plane is leaving in just a couple minutes, I said to Keith, 
go ahead and, and take Estelle out. So hopefully you'll uh, permit me that uh, on your behalf to let him go from this worship service. So be praying for Keith and, and uh, specifically Estelle, uh, his wife, who usually is with us at the 11 o'clock service. So uh, pray. We all have these things, you know. Uh, a couple weeks ago I missed worship because my father-in-law had a stroke. So we all have families, and we know how they pull on our hearts and how difficult and important it is uh, for us to attend to them. So uh, be praying for Keith and Estelle. Um, this morning, uh, where Andrew led us in those scripture verses is right where I want to track down. And I want to start with, with a little bit more of a global picture of, of, of Philippians and look at the perspective that Philippians comes to us. Now, Paul is writing to us while he's in prison. So, so Philippians has from him a very broad look. And I, and I want to start with this simple thing. See, Paul writes Philippians so that people in his generation might know how to live as a Christian in a non-Christian world. The, obviously, the world had not, Christianity had not spread to it and actually was being pushed back and repelled at that time. So Paul wanted those that would um, you, you know, follow the Lord to know how to live in a non-Christian world. Now, that passes by a couple millennium to us, and the message is how to be Christian in a post-Christian or a non-Christian world because the message is the same. Because here's how we have to start. We have to start with this big global piece, this cosmic piece of understanding what the Christian thinks of human history. See, the Christian faith believes three things about human history that we all have to be online with. The first is this belief that history is linear. Human history is linear. Now, there's a lot of different philosophies. I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking them, but let me give you some brief uh, snippets so you'll have enough knowledge just to be dangerous about each one, okay? The first version of history, if we were to take a whiteboard up here, I would just take a marker and draw a little dot. And that is kind of a lot of people's vision of history is that the dot represents the time that they're here on life. It's a pretty narcissistic look at the way life goes and that what matters in human history is the days that I'm alive. Nothing before really is a big deal. Nothing after. This is all there is to it. Why think beyond here? Live, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow you die. That, that's one philosophy. Now, there's a second philosophy that if I were to draw it on a whiteboard, I might draw a big circle. And, and that's the philosophy of a lot of the ancients, you know, like the Greeks and so forth, that they believed history was just cyclical and, th- and that humans, you know, would get built up for a while and then things would crest and it all crashed down and it all started over. Actually, still a lot of people today believe that, that that life is just cyclical. But the Christian view of history is that history is linear. It's more like an arrow. It starts here and it points to there. It points out there. And this, this is the work that we're all about. See, Christians believe that history is pointed towards somewhere and it's going somewhere. And that's the first thing that Christians believe about human history, that it's going somewhere. The second thing that all Christians believe about human history is that it begins in God. History begins in God. It has no other origin. Now, how that happened, theories abound. But here's the facts of the matter from the Christian perspective. The Christian faith believe that by God's will, the mechanics of which we don't know, we see the story in Genesis, but how that actually happened, you know, it all put itself in place. By God's will, human beings were started. Now, what is the deal with human beings? See, in human history, you have to understand that if we begin with God, we, lead, we read the story about what we're all about, 
And the first thing that we are about is being distinct and separate and superior to all the other creatures. And superior, distinct, and separate from all other creatures. Now, how are we superior? Well, if I was a stand-up comedian, I'd say, well, the way human beings are superior to all other animals is that we know how to stand in line, right? We go to DMV, we stand in line. No, that's not it. That is not how we're superior, although we are mostly able to do that. How we are superior is this. The different from the cats and the dogs and the oxen and the, and the donkeys and everything else that God has made, God has placed a glimpse, it says this in the scriptures, a glimpse of eternity so that we might crave it, yet we cannot consume it all. We believe in a future that is beyond what we see right now. It starts before we were, and it continues beyond the life that we might not now know. That's what human beings are up about. That's how we fit in, in, in human history. Not only that, God built us in a place that he built to sustain us. Our world keeps going and going and going. It, it, it builds itself over and over. And why does God start human history? Is simply, and, and we can get more complex about that. I mean, Anselm wrote five books on this. But the reason that God started humanity is boiled down pretty simply to the fact that God wants to share his love, his wisdom, and joy with us. So human history begins in God. And thirdly, the third thing that all Christians believe about human history is that it's completed in God. It's completed in God. I I had an art teacher down at C.B. Vernon. I went to C.B. Vernon Junior High just right down the, the road here. And when we were in art class, I was terrible at art, you know. I, I was like one of the kids that, like, they had to teach which end of the markers wrote with. You know, I was that bad. I couldn't draw a flower. You know, you, the simplest thing, you draw a little daisy. I couldn't get a daisy. It always looked like a peace sign or something. I don't know. But I, I, would, I would try art, but we had this great teacher named Mr. Gady, Mr. Ralph Gady. He could make anything, and he could teach a bunch of junior high knuckleheads to make anything. And so I remember the time when we were doing pottery. You know, you take a little piece of clay, throw it on the wheel, start spinning it. And, of course, we had these visions of grandeur as junior high students. You know, you always do, of me making this great thing that my mother would always want to treasure in her home, you know, something that would eventually probably end up just out of guilt being on somebody's dresser to put coins in or something like that, which is where it is today. Sorry, Mom, I've seen it. Anyway, you know, we have visions of this, and we can become this artist because we're our teacher. And, you know, while we would get going on these projects, there'd be Mr. Gady over there. He'd take a giant hump of clay, and he'd throw it there, and he's, like, making this thing. And he's, I remember one day he was making this huge vase. It was, like, this high from my waist up off the wheel, and it was, like, awesome. And I'm, like, standing there looking at it in awe. I'm like, man, I hope he leaves the room so I can cut that off and stick it in the kiln and call it mine. But it didn't. You know what he did? He had this huge vase made up here. It was gorgeous. He does this. He just smashes it and starts over. And, and he makes a very similar vase. And then when he stops the wheel, he, he cuts it diagonally like this and, and throws away part of it and then kilns the rest. See, the point of that is, is that the creator of anything, the creator of anything decides when the creation is complete. It doesn't matter what you're making. If you're the creator, whether there's a song, whether it's a vase, whether it's Habitat for Humanity, house, whether it's humanity, the creator is the only one that can determine when the creation is complete. 
In one Philippians, it says this, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now being confident of this, get this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus arrives. See, Christians believe that there is one day that is above all other days. It is the day when every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the day of Christ, the day of completion, where everything that we know right now as we've been striving to be at one with God, everything that's pointing towards God comes to its fruition and God says it is complete and that is enough of this. And the world in which we know and the lives in which we live will stop because we'll all be at one and live at one forever in God. The world of coming towards isn't needed because history is complete. Now, it says we're in partnership in this work. Now, what does it mean to be partners in a work? Well, simply, it means that the created have a role in the completion. We don't make the completion, but we have a role in the completion. We're partners with others that created. Now, be very clear about this. We are not partners with God. We are subservient to God. God is our Lord and our master. We are partners with each other. We are to work together for the coming glory of God. Now, I can show you this in a very simple way how this partnership works because it's important for us to know that we don't hook arms with God and say we're equal, share partners. Now, that's not how this works. I had a couple of friends named Dave and Debbie Richardson. They live in Denver, their father lived in the western part of the state, and he had 2,000 acres of apple orchard, which by tree standard is a lot. That is a lot of apples. And you probably ate one at Hy-Vee, you know, from Hy-Vee or Fairway or somewhere at Walmart today. They, they had all these apples, but Chuck, their dad, wanted his children to come and run the business. So they came out, and they were in charge of this huge task, which was growing and delivering apples. And they were given this huge gift, which is charge of it all. They didn't do anything to, to earn that gift. They didn't do anything to, to, to gain that responsibility. It's just that the dad wanted the son and the daughter to run the company. Now, they were never partners with Chuck. They were always subservient to his will, his desires. And actually, all the things they did built up his profit margin. But they were given this huge gift to run this large operation and the huge task to make it really work. Their partnership was not with their dad. It was with each other. They had to work together to raise the dad and the company up. That's how that works. So if you take that and, and extrapolate that to who we are as human beings, our partnership with each other is to bring glory and greatness to God. This is what our lives are all about. We're in partnership with each other for the work of the Lord. And so now Christians, here's what this partnership is based on. Christians are in partnership that, that in the most precious gift and task that there is in the world. First, the gift. The gift is grace. Now, I've, I've worked this out. I've, I've played this out before you, you know, many times, hundreds of times in front of children and students. And yet it's still important for us to hear because we need to know it. You see, left to our own devices... We are humans that let our minds wander. Some of you have wandered off during the time of this talk. I understand that. Come on back. But, but left to our own devices, we become self-absorbed. We, we fall into sinfulness, and we just spend all of our time trying to make ourselves happy. 
And that's a pretty lost condition because, again, it goes back to that dot, thoughtfulness on Christianity, that dot thought of history. It just matters about us. But you see, God has given us so much more. And so here God gives himself, gives us a glimpse of himself, and it's this pure, holy, and powerful God. And here we are over here, sinful and, and lost, and we desire to be at one with God, but between us there's this large chasm. And the Lord, while we don't deserve to be with him, builds the bridge. And the bridge is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, we can walk over and be at one with God. That is grace. It takes all of our sins away. It washes our spirits clean. It is the most precious gift you could ever receive because grace gives you and me the opportunity to be at peace with God. We do nothing to deserve it. But we're given this high place of privilege and authority. And for the rest of our lives, those of us that are Christian, we'll share this common debt because we all received something we cannot repay, a price that, we can't, that, we, that is beyond anything we owe, beyond anything that we can come up with. And because of that debt, we receive a common task. The common task is this, that Christians are partners in, in, in the precious gift and task. And the task is this, the work of the gospel. We're partners in a reward that precedes any work. We get the reward before we do any of the work. And yet, we are called to do the work. In Philippians 1, 7 through 8, it says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have in my heart, have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or, and here's the key words we're going to work on, or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you sharing God's grace with me can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, our task and our work, from the moment we understand the grace of God, is to endeavor to further the gospel. And our work comes in those two pieces, defense and confirmation. So let's go to the first piece, defense. Our work for defending the gospel starts this, like this. We have to defend the faith against its enemies. Do you think about this? I mean, I really want you to know, if you haven't, see, we come to church and we're grateful, and I think a lot of you are deep thinkers and you have great intellect and all that sort of thing. And I want you to think deeply about this. Do you understand that in the world in which we live today, the Christian faith has significant and formidable enemies? There are people that fight against Christianity day in and day out. We have many enemies. You could hear from the United Methodist women. Obviously, you have enemies that are, that are, that are uh, taking the disenfranchised and putting them in slavery. You have enemies that speak continuously against Christianity. Ask anyone that's gone to a Christian campus or a college campus lately and had, had that horrible experience where they go into class, they've been rooted in the Christian faith, they go into class, and then some professor or someone says, well, Christianity is a bunch of myths. It's a bunch of hokum. It's a bunch of, uh, of, of system of thought that's not even necessary. It can't even get you through the world, and they're broken by that. Talk to anyone that's gone to Syria or Egypt or anywhere lately, and they've been told on the way in not to express their faithfulness, not to express any belief in Christ, or they may be imprisoned or worse, yet even killed. The fact of the matter is this. We live in a post-Christian age, and Christianity has many enemies, and it needs defense against those enemies. We are not cherished in the world, and we need to be able to intelligently stand for our faith and intelligently speak for our faith so that the faith might be defended in the world in which we live. You see, sometimes 
I think we trust that the history of the faith, you know, those shepherds and guides that were given to us, our grandmas and grandpas and all that, and our parents, are going to come back and lead this into the new age. That's not what's going to happen. It's our turn. Batter up. We have to be able to make intelligent, thoughtful defense of the faith. Now, be careful. I was in a coffee shop the other day, heard two arguments on the same subject matter. Bears versus Packers. Here's how the first one went. I kid you not. It was exactly like this, as best I can remember it in this age of mind. This guy stands up and said, anyone that likes the Bears is stupid. All you people do is wear maize and orange and drink beer and eat sausage. The Bears are terrible. The Bear fans' response was, well, yeah, you just sit in your frozen tundra and eat big giant blocks of cheese. The Packers are stupid. I was swayed by neither argument. Neither one drew me to the side of of that team or the other. But in the same coffee shop, that argument kind of stirred this other defense of people's favorite teams where where the Bears fan says, well, you know, we're we're pretty good. We had that, you know, lockdown defense, and we've been able to win a lot of games over the years with defense, and we got a pretty good thrower with Cutler, and we think our running backs are are getting better. So I think we really are better than the Pack, and the Packer fan says, well, no, I don't agree with you. You know, we got Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's the best quarterback in the league. He can surgically pick apart every defense, including yours, and Erlocker's 150 years old now. So, well, I just think the Packers are better. You know, and this went on for a little bit, and again, they weren't, you know, they weren't persuading each other, but they both were able to, you know, intelligently define why they like a sports team. Cannot we prepare intelligently to defend the faith that we love so much, a faith we got up on a rainy day in the middle of February to come and worship him? Are we prepared for that in the midst of this post-Christian age? We have to be willing to defend the faith. And the second part of our defense is simply giving the reason that we have hope in. Our best defense is to say why it works for us. When someone asks you about your faith, they're asking you about your faith, just tell them why it works. I was reading a business uh, journal the other day. And you know why Toyota Motor Company became so successful in the United States? It was not because they had slick advertising. It was not because they pummeled us with emails because emails didn't uh, exist then. You know what they did? They sold some product in the U.S. And owners talked about it. And owners convinced other people that Toyota worked for them, and today it's the number one car company, car selling company in America. So you see, we have the reasons in our own hearts. You know, God's grace is in our hearts. Tell how it works in your own ways. Make defense of the faith by simply telling of the great things that God has done for you. Don't make it complicated, and don't make it some theological treatise. Now, the second part of this, of our work, is confirmation. I know Pastor Keith was buying this ticket this week, and you all have probably been on Southwest Airlines or Expedia or Hotwire or something like that to buy an airplane ticket. And you know that after you find your departing flight and after you find your flight that's uh, coming, bringing you back, you go down the bottom, you see what times they're all at, and you see how much it's going to cost. And then there's this button that says confirm, right? And if you hit confirm, it tells you, if you hit confirm... We're going to charge your credit card, and these tickets are yours, and they're non-refundable. And if you hit confirm, you push it, and the next question comes up and says, Really? Are you sure? And you hit that again, and you buy your tickets. 
Well, this is what Paul is saying to us. Because once you buy a ticket from, from, from Expedia, you're all in. And Paul is saying, once you confirm the gospel, you've got to be all in. You've got to be all in in your life. You've got to be willing to throw everything at it. Paul knew the Philippians were all in with him, so he trusted them. He trusted them to, to make confirmation of the gospel. And when we confirm the gospel, what we're actually doing is strengthening the devotion of believers. You know what it's like to be built up. You know what it's like to be torn down. We as a Christian church are supposed to be all about the building up of people, not tearing down people. Every element of church is about building each other up for the work that is necessary in a post-Christian world. We must partner in this. We must not let our time here become pedestrian. I know it's raining outside and all that kind of stuff, but you know, the number one topic I hear around the church is, what do you think about the weather? And I affirm that, you know, without weather, we die. I get that. Well, it's, you know, think about it. And so, so, so go ahead and do that. And then spend time efforting towards what people came here for, towards what you came here for, to be in, affirmed or inspired in the faith, to be affirmed by the partners that are here in ministry. See, the church has such an opportunity because, see, we got this whole wealth of issues and problems and brokenness among us. I know we don't like to admit what's going on in us, but every single person here has some itch that needs scratching. And the way it can be scratched is by us affirming each other and inspiring each other in the faith and being willing to pray for not only that ministry, but for the people on the left and right of us. And the second part of our confirmation is simply growing the church. I will contend this to you. <clears throat> Every pastor I've ever wanted to know wanted to grow a church, wanted to grow them long, bigger and stronger. But addition to the church is a conscious decision that those who attend the church make. And a lot of people will say, well, Pastor Mike, I like the church just the way it is. I like it the way it is too, and I think it'll be better if we had a couple hundred souls in here. You know what? So does the Lord. We have to choose to grow, and here's why we should grow. It doesn't matter where you find yourself, because this I know to be true. Every single person that is alive today has a deep spiritual longing. They have a depth of soul that they need to be filled, and I believe, frankly, that it's in the, in the grace of Jesus and in the church that that can be filled. So we're to be witnesses. And here we go. We're going to end this thing fast. So stay, stay in tune. We're going to go. There's three ways, I think, that we offer our witness. The first one is who you are, your character. Just simply what you're all about. Transparently carry yourself as a Christian around the world in everything that you do. Now, I talked about the Bears. I talked about the Packers. So as someone said earlier today, I'm going to talk about football. I'm not going to talk about football. I'm going to talk about a football coach. I'm neither a fan of the Bears or the Packers or the Minnesota Vikings, but I think their coach is really cool. I was watching TV the other day, and Leslie Frazier, the coach of the Minnesota Vikings, was talking about his faith in Christ. And this guy, Chad Greenway, some of you may have heard of him, who's on that team, was pictured, and, they, and he, he was talking about his coach, and they said, why do you love your coach? And, they, and I love this phrase. He says, he's just like butter. Any way you cut him, it's the same all the way through. And when I look at coach, it's Christian all the way through. He doesn't preach to us the Bible. He doesn't talk to us about Jesus Christ. But when you see the coach, you say, that guy there, that's what a Christian looks like. And that's what I hope we all look like, too. When people see us in our workplace, when people see us at our school, they say, I don't know much about them, but I know for sure they're a f they're, for a fact 
they are a Christian. So your character, just who, who you are, carry yourself around as a Christian. The second part of our witness is what you do, your conduct. You know, William James says, I'm going to act every day as, what, as if what I do truly makes a difference. And what you do does make a difference. People will judge us by what we do. So we've got to live like we believe, that we're grateful for the gift, that we're willing to work for the task of Christ, and that we're willing to do for him with our time, our treasure, and our talents. And the third part of our witness is what you say, how you communicate with people. Tell others plainly about what God has done for you. Again, you didn't get here by accident. Someone shepherded you. Someone nudged you. And they probably weren't a pastor. They taught you the ways of the faith. They showed, showed you scriptures. They encouraged you. They asked you questions. So don't be afraid to communicate with Christ. Because here's what it all boils down to in a life mission. So all this is. What it says on the screen. We are to connect someone with God. Many of you might not know this dear soul in our church that passed away a handful of years ago. Her name was Jean Beeson. Beautiful little soul wonderful. One day I was at Jean's house, not too many days before she walked into uh, the great beyond with our God and Savior. And Jeannie said this to me. She says, do you know Doris Barker? I said, yeah, I know Doris Barker. She says, do you know why I love Doris Barker? I said, I don't, Jean, tell me. She said, you know, I was in my 70s and she invited me to a class called Alpha. And during that class called Alpha, Doris connected me to God in a way that I can't ever be torn apart. You see, I believe that we ought to be asking ourselves that question every single day. Have we connected someone to God today? Because I think in the final analysis, when we go face to face with our Lord, he's going to look at us, knowing the answer, and say simply to us, who of my children did you connect to me? See, that's the mission we're on. We're all missionaries on that mission. Our mission's not about us. We sometimes think, oh man, what if somebody rejects us, Pastor Mike? Who cares? The mission's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and the people that have not been connected to him yet. And so let's be about that task. My dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, in this non-Christian or this post-Christian world in which we've been born and in which we will most likely live out our lives, Embrace the gift, the free grace that's been poured upon you and the task of the gospel and partner with each other in working towards that great day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the completeness of the creation in which we find ourselves. Let that be your task and your mission. Let us pray. God, we thank you for opportunity to be together in you today. We thank you for the beautiful words of Scripture. We thank you for uh, the agenda that you push forth. And we ask, O Lord, that we might be faithful missions of the task in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi, my name is Kate Gashan, and I love the Lord in the First United Methodist Church in Marion. I was baptized, confirmed, and married here, and I'm so excited that my daughter will get to have those experiences also. When I was growing up in the church, I was a member of the hand chime and the handbell choirs. And as an adult, I've realized that I've missed out on the unique uh, worship opportunities that the handbells offer. So now I've joined that handbell choir once again. And my husband Dana and I proudly give our gifts to the current and future programs of FUMC. I hope you will join us.